0: Good morning. Good to see everyone here. Good to gather to praise the Lord, isn't it? We have a lot to praise him for. Uh, Before we get into the sermon, I want to just offer a prayer for the situation in Israel. So if you bow with me. Father, we pray for your hand to be mighty in that situation for Israel. Father we just pray that the best things would be done in order to stop the uh, the murder of people. We, we pray that uh, as they make decisions on how to go about protecting themselves the nation of Israel that you would give them the wisest choices to make in order to accomplish their purpose. We do pray that the people that have been held captive would be released and that that would come about soon. And then Lord, we do pray that the, the terrorists would be no more, would be no threat any longer, and that that would be taken care of in, in your way, Lord. We, we pray for your help and your strength and your faithfulness to your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, as we approach the holiday season, you know, Thanksgiving and then on into the Christmas season, I, like to, I would like to address a matter that I believe that will be very fitting, especially for the Thanksgiving season. Now, you know, I think we probably would all agree that we are a very privileged people living in the United States or living in the West, and we know that we we live in a very wealthy society. Things could be changing in that, but, you know, when I think back, my generation has much more and had much more growing up than my parents' generation, and our kids have more than we grew up with. And so our nation has become increasingly wealthy. But those conveniences and all that we enjoy, which so many other people don't enjoy, they are great to have and we are thankful for them. But they can lead to something pretty pernicious. You know, and I'm talking about an, an attitude of Entitlement. The attitude that we deserve that we are owed just because just because we want to be you know I was listening to this podcast who was who was playing a rant that a young lady had put online you know She, she recorded it or she'd put it online and so it was out to everybody and she knew that of course but Her rant was about how unfair life was to her. She was a young lady, you know, out of college in the last couple of years. She lived in this nice apartment, but she had to take the bus to work. She had a nice job, but because she had no car, she could not get home before 6 p.m. How can you live any kind of a life if you cannot get home before 6 p.m.? That was her concerned. How in the world? She was so distressed. I mean, she just went on and on and on about how unfair that was, that she had to take the bus and get home at 6 p.m. She felt cheated. Not because of her living quarters, not because of her job, but because of her not being able to get home before 6 o'clock. You know, I, I think it's pretty easy to become entitled when we have such privileges, isn't it? In, our, in the West and our country, especially, it's easy to just get used to things being so nice, and we then start thinking that we deserve them or we should have them. And here's another factor driving us toward an attitude of entitlement there are elements of our society that are trying to convince different groups of people that they are victims and that people owe them. And it's really, you know, causing a lot of friction in our society. And in that, they are causing divisions in our society. They pit pit this group against that group, and then they title it all under the thing of victimization. And the solution to the problem is turn to us, put us in office, and we will protect you because we will get you what really should be yours. You deserve better. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people who need more, but I'm saying this is something that goes beyond what they're saying Now, all of that leads to factions in our society. It's these people against those people. They, would say, they want to keep you poor, but we will watch out for you if you keep us in office. And we can become the pawns in their chess game. But I have the answer for all of this, and it's a a foolproof answer. If we follow it, it will free us from these dangers of becoming entitled or looking down on others. And the answer has to do with our heart condition. So I want you to look with me. We'll be in the uh, book of Colossians this morning, the first 17 verses. But I want you to look at the first four verses to begin with. The Apostle Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ... You know, we who have come to Christ for forgiveness. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your true life is with God. And people can't see your true life when they just look at you. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. The choice is ours, isn't it? It is our decision. It all depends upon where we set our hearts. That would be our affections. And where we set our minds. That would be our reasoning, our thinking, the way we deliberate. Paul is telling us not to set our focus, our desires our gauge, on earthly things, which is what people just normally do, right? We set our gauge, our our aspirations, everything, on earthly things. You see, the false teachers, or the ones trying to trap us into entitlement thinking, or into giving power over to them, want to make us think, or put our top desires on earthly things because that is their realm of power and control. And the more we are fixated on the things of the earth, money, possessions, fame, popularity, social standing, the more they can have us eating out of their hands through manipulation, and the more power they gain. But the more we set our minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the more immune we become to the traps of the the devil and of the world. And Paul says that as far as our value, our standing is concerned, our true value, our real lives are hidden with Christ in God. People can't see the true of us just by looking. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. People on earth who only go through earthly values or go by earthly values they can't see what true importance is but when Christ who is our true life appears then it says we will also appear with him in glory and we will be seen as glorified and so our true selves will be shown when Christ comes back and we come back with him in glory then everyone will see that we are the ones who made the right choices. We are the true conquerors, even though we don't look like it now. We are the ones who chose the greatest treasure because we will appear with the King of kings and the Lord of glory, and it will be in front of the whole world. That's what Paul's saying. And then he tells us how to leave the enemy camp so he can't have any control over us anymore. And he wants us to lay down all of the weapons that the enemy gave us to use against others. So look with me at verses 5 through 11. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's God's judgment upon sin. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, he tells them. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here in this new in the new self there is no gentile or Jew you know where the differences have been erased circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave or free but Christ is all and is in all. You know, as I read that, in my mind, I'm picturing someone turning to Jesus Christ as the person leaves Satan's realm and goes into Christ's realm. And then one by one, they're discarding every weapon of evil and every weapon of destruction. And they're just throwing them out. They're just cleaning out their, their weapon stash. Every weapon to use they use to tear others down, to belittle others to control others, to mislead others, to use others, to destroy others. Every weapon's going out, one by one, laying them down as they prepare to go over to the other side, to the side of Christ. Then he moves moves into the areas of rage, anger, malice, slander, filthy language, Don't lie to each other because you've taken off the old self. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of our creator. He says the Christian life is one of being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. And when we are renewed in knowledge, all the outward characteristics that pitted us against one another are removed. So we should all be just for one another. We are all in Christ, and he is everything. It's a total unity of purpose. So the way God has set it up makes it so unifying, so much love toward one another. And I know it just doesn't automatically happen, right? One thing I would like to emphasize here is in verse 10. Go back there. He says, we put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And that's when he goes into no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, different, slave or free. We no longer look down with prejudice on others. But first of all, he says here, it's a process. Being renewed... Is a process. It's ongoing. It's not an immediate change of heart. I know when we come to Christ, there are some immediate things that happen, you know, feelings, uh, thoughts, but really it's a growth process. And it takes our willingness, doesn't it? You know, we're not forced. You know, Christ comes into our life, and He's there, and it's great. But we have to take some responsibility. We have to take some responsibility for being part of the process that God is taking us through. It's not an instantaneous transformation, you know, full transformation. The instantaneous part is that our sins are forgiven. And we are now scheduled for heaven. We repent before him of our sins. And that instantaneous transaction happens right then in our souls. We've crossed over from death to life. Our standing before God is completely the opposite now. But as our journey to become more and more like Christ in our daily lives, that's just started. And it's up to us to put in the time and effort to learn of Christ, to learn how to walk in his ways, to learn how to leave the world and the old life and walk in the new. And he says, it's being renewed day by day, the knowledge of the creator in the image of its creator. And so that would mean like becoming a person of prayer, becoming a person who loves God's word. That's what it's like to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator, to make a decision to turn away from the old life and enter into the new. And all of this leads us to verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to take a month or two and just read over verses 12 through 14 every day, would it? I mean, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Uh, That's a lifetime work right there, isn't it? Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's hard to keep in our minds, isn't it, when we need to forgive someone? And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's all about how we treat others, isn't it? You know, when you speak of compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, forgiveness. And then, you know, you tie up the whole package with the ribbon of love. Love is putting the other person first, right? Love is thinking of the other person, not just ourselves. This uh, man who was a pastor for 30 years, and uh, he does a podcast-type thing, he said back when he was a pastor, he was at a golfing event, he was invited to a golfing event when most of the people that were there were good golfers. And he said he's just trying to keep up. And as they were golfing, and the, and the people there were, were fairly wealthy, and as they were going through their game, uh, this lady finds out that he's a pastor, and she runs up to him at one point. She says, I hear you're a pastor. He goes, yeah. And then she says, "Um, I want to tell you something. And she starts complaining about her husband, how hard he is to live with, and how many bad things he does, and how it's so hard, you know, just to be nice to him. And she asks him if he can tell her what's wrong. What's wrong with this? And he says, yeah, I can tell you. She goes, well, what is it? He said, it's selfishness. And she goes, I knew it. I knew he was selfish. And then he goes, no, I meant you. (laughs) She goes, what? He said, we're all selfish. We all are selfish. We all have to think outside of ourselves. Almost every problem in marriage is due to selfishness. Because we're so used to putting ourselves first. So used to thinking of ourselves first, aren't we? And when something doesn't go our way, we just get angry. Why didn't that person think of me first? And then Jesus Christ comes into our lives, and he brings us a whole different picture, doesn't he? But it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. He says to put on the new self, which is, being, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. It's not instantaneous. You know, when I came to Christ as my Savior, I fooled myself because I, I had stepped into a world that was so different than the one I had been living in. And I was with people that were so different than the ones I had been with for years. And so I'm a true Christian. I know the eternal truth. I know that I'm in head, heading to heaven and I'm a true child of God. But I didn't realize how slow the process would take. I didn't even think it was, a, I just thought because I've seen things so differently now and all those People I, I was with, you know, they were so lost. I just thought, I've attained. But I soon learned I didn't. And I soon learned that being renewed in the knowledge of its creator is a long, slow process because you have lots of habits and you have ways of answering people and you have ways of dealing with people. And so it's transferring our thoughts and our attitudes and our habits and our reactions. How do you how do you come back to somebody who says something you don't like? It's uh, transforming our outlook, our values, our priorities. And that just takes a process, doesn't it? It takes prayer. It takes daily prayer. It takes being in the Word. Letting the word change you inside. It takes effort. And now as Paul finishes this specific part of his letter to the Colossians, he gives the Colossians these three benchmarks that will guide them in their lives. But they're just not just benchmarks, but they're supposed to become a major part of their lives. So in these last three verses, he says... Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. There's that thankfulness. So it's the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So there's gratitude again. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as we're into the scriptures, as we're into good fellowship. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness permeates the Christian walk, doesn't it? You know, he said back there at last sentence, he's calling us to peace and be thankful. And here he said, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you know when, you know some people that are like extra thankful, and you know they're, so, they're, they're pleasant people. It's fun to be around them because they're just so thankful. I mean, you've even seen little children, you, maybe one or two years old, three years old, and you just give them something to go thank you just draws your heart toward them (laughs) you can sit with me because they're so thankful it's just such a attractive part and that's what you know God wants us to become more of thankful and it's allowing the part it's a part of allowing the peace of Christ to rule over our hearts And the message of Christ dwelling among us richly, giving us gratitude in our hearts. And then doing everything we do in the name of Jesus Christ, as we give thanks to God through him. You know, just think of living in a situation where no one is thankful and no one thinks outside of themselves. but it's the light of Christ that fills our hearts with joy, isn't it? And because of that, we can be eternally grateful to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you give us your spirit to help us to understand your word and to live by it and to desire it And we pray, Lord, that we would be in this process of becoming more and more thankful and that we could uh, affect others in a good way because of it and that we could lead others either closer to you or to you for salvation. Help us to become very thankful people as we just concentrate or meditate upon you and what you've done.